Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Thank you, Bob. Um, it's been wonderful to join with you and reconnect with you this morning or this afternoon as it is here in New Zealand. Um, it's making me a little bit homesick, to be honest, uh, seeing you all on screen. Um, I really, uh, it, it is a joy uh, to be with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about heavenly work, uh, which is a very interesting subject. And it's been one that I've uh, enjoyed preparing. It's been a challenge to prepare, uh, to be honest. I came across an article on the web a number of years ago about a 48-year-old Singaporean who died from overwork. He was called Mr. Tan Ying Rong, and he died from overwork when he fainted at home. He owned a dry cleaning store and reportedly worked for more than 12 hours a day. His son, 19-year-old polytechnic student, told the Chinese Daily he would work every day from 7 in the morning until 7 at night. Because it was his own business, he did everything himself. He hardly rested and would continue working on weekends and public holidays. Mr. Tan died from heart exhaustion, the article goes on to say. It's not uncommon to see Singaporeans working long hours to make ends meet. Some even, I'm reading from a newspaper article here, some even have to hold down two or three jobs. And having lived in Singapore for six months back in 2010, I can attest to that. In a recent report released by UBS, Singaporeans spend most hours at work in a year after Hong Kong among developed countries. But they spend less time on vacations than those in Hong Kong. It's just one example, and I'm sure we could multiply examples of how stressful work can, can even kill us. And so you'd think heaven would be a place where we're finally done with work. It's all about rest. We can relax. The pressure's off. You all know Revelation 21, verse 4. We could add to that something along these lines. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or work, for the old order of things has passed away. So will there be work or not? Well, spoiler alert, yes, there will be. But what kind of work will we do? I know that's the question that you're all asking. But before we get to that question, let's discuss a more basic question. Where will we work? When we think about eternity, probably most of us, I'm guessing, think about up there. We think about heaven. And if we're honest, most descriptions of heaven, most of our thoughts about heaven are probably rather boring. I came across this a number of years ago. And you, uh, Joel Stein, who's a journalist for the Los Angeles Times, says, heaven is totally overrated. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Heaven has to step it up a bit. They're basically getting by because they, own, they only have to be better than hell. I wonder if there's some truth to that. How much of the attractiveness of heaven is simply it's not hell? Heaven can sometimes seem like fire insurance. It's necessary because it's better than your house burning down. 
However, the Bible doesn't paint this picture of heaven. At least it doesn't paint this picture of eternity, where we, where God's people will spend eternity. For a start, eternity will not be up there, but down here. I don't know if that's news for you. If it is news for you, then hopefully it's exciting news. Eternity, where you will spend eternity, will not be up there, but down here on earth. Listen to some verses very quickly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus promised that we will inherit the earth. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter says that we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul describes purpose of God ultimately is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And if we were to look at the picture of Revelation 21 and what's presented to us there, it's the, it's the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth. And so what we have is a reuniting together of heaven and earth, heaven on earth, you could say. Now, you're probably aware that Christians disagree all the time on things like end times, but there's no disagreement on this. At least there's little disagreement among, on this, and there's no disagreement that I know among scholars. Listen to some scholars from various traditions. John Stott says, God will create a new heavens and a new earth. What we what we do know is that God's material creation will be redeemed and glorified. Randy Alcorn on his book on heaven says, in order to get a picture of heaven, you, need to look, you do not need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around and imagine what all this world will be like without sin, without death or suffering and corruption. Tim Keller describes eternity as this, an absolute rewoven, perfect, healed, material world. It will be the world in which we never had consisting, it will be the world we never had, consisting of a family you never had, a body you never had, a home you never had, a beach you never had. A mountain you never had. A world you never had. It's a beautiful picture of where we, God's people, will spend eternity. A number of years ago, um, probably going back, uh, let me see, we're going back 14 years now, um, my son Caleb, his middle name is Benjamin, and, and, and we, we gave him that name after an eight-year-old boy named Benjamin. Um, he was a friend of the family uh, and knew his parents very well, and he died of a brain tumor. Uh, and he fought such a, uh, a battle, a good battle for a year before he passed away. And his mother, Natasha, asked me after he had died, she wanted to know about where he would be spending eternity. And at the time, I was reading a book uh, um, about the gospel and the Christian life and various things, but it, it just so happened, it had a quote in there that said this, when we enter the eternal kingdom, the perfect fulfillment of a royal, of a real home and family 
will be beyond our wildest dreams and will meet our deepest longings. We will say, somehow, I just knew it was meant to be like this. Can you imagine ever having ever that having experience, experience and saying to yourself, saying to yourself somehow, somehow, I just knew, I just knew it, was it was meant to be like, to this. Be like this. That will be eternity. Be eternity. Heaven on earth. So that's where we will work. We will work here, a new heaven and a new earth. Next question, will we work there? Again, the answer is yes, but first some disclaimers. There's a lot we don't know about the new heaven and the new earth. It's possible that a great deal of the language that we read in the prophets and in the New Testament is uh, symbolic and metaphorical. And it's sometimes difficult to get an accurate picture of what eternity will be like. Um, but what we do know is that it will be what we long for. It will not disappoint. Again, John Stott says, the future glory is beyond our imagination. As to work itself, we have an even less to go on. However, that doesn't mean there's nothing to say. But the first place to start is to go back to God's original intention for work. And I'll try and make this quick. According to Genesis 1, 26, 28, so going back to the very first chapter of the Bible, God created us to image him and to rule over the earth and to be fruitful and increase in number to fill the earth subdue it. In other words, God's original plan was to create people who would be like him and that they would spread out. And as they spread out, so would the Garden of Eden. So that eventually the whole wide world would be people, would be covered with people who looked like God. In other words, God's presence would be everywhere. It would cover the world. Genesis 2.15 goes on to tell us that God put Adam in the garden to work. So obviously God never planned for the world, for the earth to just take care of itself. Sandra Richter is uh, an Old Testament scholar from America, and she's got a lovely book called The Epic, um, Epic of Eden. Just the name escapes me for the, mo for the moment. Um, but she writes this about the Garden of Eden and about God's original plan. God, we are to imagine an entire race of people stretching their cognitive their cognitive creative powers to the limit to build a society without greed, malice, or envy, progress without pollution, expansion without extinction. Humanity were free under God to explore and develop their world, such that the success of the strong did not involve the deprivation of the weak. Here, government would be wise and just and kind, resources plentiful, war unnecessary, achievement unlimited, and beauty and balance everywhere. This was God's perfect plan. And then sin. Sin, of course, changed things. Humanity would still work, but things would be different. 
Work would now sometimes be difficult and stressful. Nature would not always cooperate. Humans would get greedy. Andrew May is a, an Australian author and stress management expert. And he says, at least he said a few years ago, he says that Australia has become a nation of workaholics. In a 23-year country study, Australia ranked among the worst in terms of long working hours, occupational stress, and poor work-life balance. It's interesting because I remember reading an article probably 15, 20 years ago when I was back on the Sunshine Coast, and it was an article from the Sydney Herald saying that the Aussie barbecue was a thing of the past. Perhaps they are related. But even though sin changed things, God's original plan for this world has not changed. His original plan to fill the world with his presence. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. It's just one verse that we could go to, but it's a great verse that summarizes the big picture plan of God for this world, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That planned in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and that's still his plan. As we move forward in Isaiah, we see more about what's in store. Isaiah 45 verse 18 says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He God, He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. This doesn't only apply to the present world, but also to the world to come. God created this world to be inhabited. Isaiah continues this theme of heaven and earth in the last two chapters, Isaiah 65 and 65. We'll focus on Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 verse 17, 17 begins with, Behold, I will create a new heaven, uh, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And what follows is a description of life in the new heaven and new earth. This is a description of what eternity will be like. Now, remember our disclaimers. It's difficult to know sometimes how literal to take the language. And also, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Those disclaimers aside, Isaiah makes several points about what the new heaven and the new earth will be like, be speaking with regard to work. Firstly, we will never find work stressful or depressing. Verse 19 says, uh, verse 19 is kind of an introduction to everything that follows. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Revelation 21 verse 4 picks this up. I quoted from it at the beginning and adds, for the old order of things has passed away. In other words, whatever work we do, it will not come with the things we do not like about it. There will be no Monday-itis, in other words. There'll be no going to bed on Sunday night, if that's what we will do, dreading waking up on Monday morning. Secondly, we will benefit from our work. 
verse 21 says that they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Number three, we will find work rewarding. Verse 22 says, no longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Work will be rewarding. We will find work enjoyable. Isaiah is clearly using language of his day that he's used to coming from an agricultural society. By the time we get to Revelation 21 and we see the new heaven and the new earth there, it's a city. So we don't necessarily need to restrict our thinking to agricultural metaphors. But this is certainly seems to suggest that we will be working, being creative, being constructive in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will enjoy the work that we do. Number four, we will never think our work is meaningless. How many times have you said, I got nothing done today? Not in the new heaven and the new earth. We will never say that. Verse 23 says that they will not labor in vain. At the outset of this passage, God says, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Our work will never be in vain because it is God's work. It will be God's work. Remember Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. God is the one who creates the new heaven and the new earth. And therefore, nothing we put our hands to will be in vain. Nothing will be pointless. Nothing will be meaningless or insignificant. Number five. All our work will be done in constant relationship. Verses 23 and 24. They will be a people blessed by the Lord. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. I don't know if you've ever longed to know God every second of the day, to be conscious of him, to be thinking about him, to to live in his presence constantly. Have you ever longed for that? Well, in the new heaven and the new earth, we will live just like that, even while we work. Number six, all our work will be done in a world where there is complete harmony. Something that we miss right now, isn't it? Isaiah 65, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. You know, if we could summarize what Isaiah is saying here in these verses, and it's, it's just a snippet, obviously, it would be that this is life as it was always intended to be. If you, if you kind of step back and just look at the gist of what he is saying, that there will be no more stress, no more burnout. We will benefit from our work. Our work will be rewarding. It will not be meaningless ever. Our work will be done in constant relationship with God. It will be done in a world where everything is complete harmony. This is life as it was always intended to be. And don't forget that it will not be up there, but down here. Now, you may have one question. Well, you might have several, actually. 
please feel free to email me or jump on Facebook Messenger. You might be thinking, I thought we were supposed to spend eternity worshipping God. Isn't worship something that we do on Sunday, the day when we don't work? Won't heaven or eternity just be an extended Sunday where we rest forever? Won't God have laid it all on for us? There's no reason to work, surely. Just welcome to your new home, God says. Enjoy. Well, I want to finish by showing that we will indeed worship God for all eternity. And that our work will, in fact, be worship. In fact, everything that we do will be worship. Genesis 2.15 says that God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. These two words, to work and take care, wherever they occur in the Bible, describe the duties at the tabernacle. In other words, they are worship words. Whenever they occur together, they occur in the context of worship. They are words that describe worship. This means, and this is, this is common, by the way, you can go and look at most commentaries on this and find this, that Adam's work was, in fact, when God put Adam in garden in the field to work it and take care of it, it was at the same time worship. We need to explore this further. I think you're probably all familiar with the idea that everything is worship. I think you're at least familiar with that in theory. But how does that work? How will it work? There's more to the idea of worship than simply putting a spade in the ground, obviously. And there's more to the idea of worship than singing or putting our hands in the air. According to Psalm 148, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the hills, the trees, and animals all praise the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Don't you need a mouth to praise God? Evidently not. Last time I looked, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the hills and trees, they don't have mouths, and yet they praise God. So the question is, how? Well, the answer is strikingly simple, and I came across this actually back in 2017 during my time at BST by a man named J. Richard Middleton, who's written a great book called The New Heaven and the New Earth. How do these elements of creation praise God? And the answer is, wait for it, it's stunningly simple, by being what God created them to be. You see, mountains worship God by being mountains. Trees worship God by being trees. The moon worships God by being the moon. So how do humans worship God? by being what we were created to be. And what were we created to be? We were created to image God. 
We were created to be like God. We were created to be in his likeness, in his image. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Let's think about this for a moment. What's the greatest compliment you can ever receive? Is it for someone to tell you how great you are? Is it for someone to say, you're wonderful, you, you look great, I love you, you're so amazing? Certainly great compliments. But how would you feel if someone said to you that they thought so much of you that they had begun to imitate you? That they thought so much of you that they had begun to copy you? How would you feel if someone said to you, I want to be just like you? Wouldn't that be such an amazing compliment to get? Why do dads love it when their young sons say, I want to be just like my dad? It's no greater compliment. You see, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on something here. I remember um, a church I used to pastor at on the Sunshine Coast, um, people would, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this all over the internet, but anyway, um, I remember I, I'd get huge compliments about my preaching, often get compliments about my preaching, great preaching, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I noticed, I noticed that no one ever wanted to copy my style of preaching. And I kind of wondered about that at times. In other words, how great really is my preaching if you don't want to copy it? You get the point? In other words, you can tell someone how great they are, but you don't really mean it until you start to copy them. You see, here's the point. True worship is to be who we were created to be. And who were we created to be? Image bearers of God. We were created to be like God. We were created to imitate God, which, by the way, is Jesus's favorite command, isn't it? Follow me, right? Be like me. That's the whole point of the word disciple. Follow me. Be like me. Image me. It's worship. It's worship. You see what I'm saying here? We often, can, and in fact, I've said to some people, I've said to some pastors, I said, what we should be really doing is scrapping the name worship leader from our church. And, and when we leave church, we should be sending people out in the world to worship. Because that's really what worship is all about. Copying God, imitating God. Nothing brings him more delight. When Adam put that spade in the ground, it was worship because everything about him imaged God, his selfless attitude toward work, his kind words as he left his wife in the morning, his compassionate heart toward the animals, his servant-hearted action toward the earth, his patience as he waited for the ground to produce fruit, his love as he shared the produce with his wife. Think about this for a moment. What would delight God more? For Adam to stand there all day out in the field singing 
You are great, God. You are wonderful, compassionate, holy, majestic, on and on and on, just singing songs all day. Or to be so impressed with God that he imitates him in every way, that he images him in every way. You see, that's what brings God delight. That's true worship. And that's how it will be for all eternity. Because you remember 1 John 3, 2 says that when we see him, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. And therefore, everything we do will be worship. Irenaeus, is a church father from way back, said, The glory of God is man fully alive. In other words, God is being worshipped when human beings are living as they were intended to live. In other words, imaging him, being like him. That's Isaiah's picture. Back in 2016, um, I was sitting on this beach. It's the island of Patmos, which is where the book of Revelation was written from. And I, I'm taking the photo, obviously, but um, I'm there eating a burger and chips, drinking a vanilla latte with students from Brisbane School of Theology. And I remember saying at one point, this is the life. This is the life. And you know what? I was getting paid to do it. I was working. I was leading that tour. It was my job. So all my expenses were paid. All my hotel rooms were paid. Everything was paid for. I'm sitting on that beach, working, getting paid. Whatever work will be like in eternity, and I hope given you a taste, it's about all we can do, I think, from what we have in the Bible. But perhaps the most marvelous thing of all is that it's going to be down here and that everything we do will be worship. It's not going to be one long church service or anything like that. But whatever work will be like in eternity, we will never have felt more fully alive. We will never have felt more fully alive. In fact, I don't think we'll be saying this is the life. I think we'll be saying this is life. And we will be saying and thinking to ourselves, somehow, I just knew it was meant to be like this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the wonderful things that are in store for us. And we can hardly wait. When we think about the um, pain and the heartache and sorrow and the division in the world today. And uh, I feel it even here. Um, there's separation between us. There's a, there's, um, there's a whole ocean and that separation sometimes hurts. Um, but Father, thank you that all of this will not last forever. Thank you that there is a day coming uh, when we will experience um, something that will feel like I just knew 
they just knew that this is what it was meant to be like. Please uh, watch over these dear people at Windsor Road. Um, please bless them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.